This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. There's no doubt diabetes is difficult. It's difficult to understand and to manage and to live with some days. But I, I don't accept when I hear people say, I can't do this because I have diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is keeping me from this. It's keeping me from that. It's difficult to do this. It's difficult to do that. Well, from a baseball field in New Hampshire, where not a lot of Major League Baseball players come from, all the way out to the West Coast to Stanford University, a university that not many people can get into. Today's guest for episode 47 of the Juice Box Podcast, he went to Stanford. He left with an economics degree. He was drafted by the Chicago Cubs, and he currently plays for the Oakland A's. And he does all that with type 1 diabetes. And, and, just an insulin pen. Not a CGM, not a not an insulin pump. Although Sam talks a little later about wanting to get some things like that when he's done playing. Sam Fold plays center field for the Oakland Athletics with an insulin pen, a glucose meter, and a back pocket full of bubble gum in case he gets low. If Sam can play Major League Baseball with nothing but an insulin pen and bubble gum, there is nothing you cannot do. A swing and a fly ball to left. Shallow, racing in fold, still coming. Dives, and he makes a sensational catch. What an effort by Super Sam Fold. As he dies for that baseball after playing extremely deep and left. He has very good speed, was able to get there, and was able to make that diving highlight reel catch to rob Van Slyke there of a hit. Yeah, that. I'm happy with whatever. Whatever whatever makes sense. Oh, you're cutting out. Hold on. Let me see here. Here's what you need to do. Are yeah. You, you need a pair of headphones or I'll bounce around, like even okay. a, an Apple hip hair with a mic in it or anything like that. Yeah, no, I got headphones on. I think I think I hear you fine now. Oh, you do? Great. Yeah, yeah. And then I hear somebody else. Is there like someone in the background or am I hearing noise? <laughs> no, that's my wife. Oh, okay. the I'll make sure she's uh, no, no, it's fine. about to take off. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, sorry about that. I, I've got like, evidently I've got like three different Skype accounts and two of them don't work. So <laughs> third one finally worked. No, it's beautiful. I, I see us recording fine. I'm just going to save the file here so it continues to auto save. Okay. And trust me, I had so many technical problems this morning. Skype is such a, <laughs> a weird animal. It's I've yeah. I've done like five shows this week. They, they're all great, and then suddenly I get on for you, and nothing works. I <laughs> literally yeah. had to pull out an old computer and hook it up to do this. So, yeah, I was I don't know I I was very confused this morning too. Like I had, I haven't used Skype in a while, but I, I thought it would just be fine. I tested it out last night and it was fine, and then this morning it wasn't. So I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, I just usually jump into these. So how are you? Okay, I'm good. <laughs> good, I'm good. So I. I'll, I'll even just introduce you in the beginning. It's not, I mean, it's not like it's a surprise that the episode will be marked with your name and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably just jump right in and ask you a couple questions and we'll get rolling. Cool. Um, so you're in your mid-30s, 34? 
34. Okay. Yeah, well, just turned 34 a couple months ago. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 10. Yeah, I was 10. I was, um, it was in the summer. It was actually just, I guess, I was diagnosed in like September. So it was like literally a, a week before um, school started. So the timing was a little funky, but I, was, I think I was heading into the fourth grade. Do you have all the, the classic symptoms? Is that how you knew, or is there someone in the family that, that it made sense to you that it was diabetes, or were you the first? Yeah, we had no idea. We had no idea. I was the first. I mean, I probably had it for over a month, uh, maybe a couple months. I mean, I kind of look back at some uh, some moments throughout that summer, and I go, okay, yeah, I was really, really low then. I had no idea. I mean, I, I played a lot of baseball and tennis that summer. I remember having a tennis match where I just was like, I couldn't have felt worse after the match and I had no idea what was going on. I remember just like having some innate craving, obviously, uh, was hungry. You know, I craved, um, food and I probably had like three cheeseburgers that day and felt felt a lot better. (laughs) Although probably, um, probably went to the bathroom about five times that night too, I'm sure. So yeah, it was classic symptoms going to the bathroom a lot, thirsty all the time. And I think I lost like 10 pounds that summer too. So it didn't take my parents too long to figure out something was going on. Yeah. I know when my daughter was so little that it just, you kind of couldn't tell she only weighed 19 pounds to begin with. So, you know, she was, she was, she was two when she was diagnosed. So, you know, she she went down to like 17 pounds. You could see she wasn't well, but at the same time, I'm assuming like you, that it was happening prior to us really figuring it out. And it just, you know, it's hard to tell. So. Yeah. Especially the two year old, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. there's so, a lot going on at that age. So when did you start playing baseball? Is it was it one of your first sports? Yeah, probably my first. I mean, I, I was uh, I loved baseball from the time I can remember. I mean, I was like three or four, and I was like swinging wiffle ball bats around the house. And um, there was something unique about baseball to me. I loved other sports. I, I played. I mean, I still do. It. I'm a big just sports fan in general. Um, and so I played everything imaginable. Um, but for some reason, I, baseball was just my true love. I was better at it, which I'm sure maybe helped me love it a little bit more. But um, I think there's something uh, about baseball that I, that I love. Okay, so that, that's sort of the road I want to go down in the beginning. So I'm sure if people listen to this show, they get that my, son's, my son Cole, which I don't think we really ever talk about very much because he doesn't have diabetes. But... Um, He's 16. He's about to turn 16. He's been playing since he was four, organized. And it was back when he was two years old, and my wife and I bought a house, and we finally had a backyard. And we were looking for things to keep, to keep him busy while we were working on this new house that we bought that needed a lot of work. And so we get him this kind of, you know, this big plastic tee and a bat, and I'm like, maybe he'll like this. And he stood in front of it and just whacked the ball like straight 40 feet, like a two-year-old, like, you know, it's a plastic ball. And I looked at my wife and I was like, I wonder if one day he'll like baseball. You know, it's such a throwaway. You know, fast forward 14 years later, most of my life is spent driving to or sitting at a baseball game, I'm pretty sure. And, and my son describes, my son's a, a pretty type A kid. He's a real kind of intellectual, but not in a way like you think of it. He's very good in school, but doesn't particularly like school. Um, he's just good at it. He, what he wants to do is play baseball. I was talking to him the other night, and, and he even said, he's like, look, I like going to a game. He goes, but I want to be playing. And, and so, like, it doesn't even like if I, I and I've said to him in the past, we're, we live near Philadelphia. We, we're longtime Phillies fans, 
And there'll be times when we'll have a day off and I'll say, hey, you know who's somebody's coming in from out of town, they're pitching, you want to go see? And he's like, uh. <laughs> you know, like he kind of, if he's not playing, he uh, loves it when he's playing. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't dislike baseball, don't get me yeah. wrong. But there's something about the competition of it, and it seems personal to him. Like, like I don't know how that – like he's in it for the team, don't get me wrong. But but he's, he seems very competitive with himself almost before the game. And do you have any feelings like that when you're playing? Like is it something that leads someone to be that sort of competitive and, and desirous of, of chasing something? Because – Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean – Baseball is pretty unique in that it's a combination of, of an individual sport and a team sport. I mean, you know, at its core, it's a one-on-one game. It's the pitcher against the batter. So you need that, that individual drive. I mean, it's funny because it's, you can, I, I've had a lot of experiences playing on good teams that are even better because of how, we are as a team, how we, how we feed off each other's emotions and how we get along, you know, in the clubhouse and off the field. Right. And I think that goes a long way. So there's an, an incredibly important team aspect to baseball, but then you go, well, really like what, what does it matter if you like your, the guy on deck and you, all that matters is, can you hit this 95 mile hour fastball that's coming at you? Like, sure. you know, it's, um, but, but there's some, sort of vague and intangible where if you, if you, um, if you love your teammates and you're playing for your team, um, it, it, it does go a long way, but, but ultimately, yeah, I, uh, I think I've been successful partially at, at, at baseball because of fear of failure. You know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm incredibly competitive and I think part of what drives me is just like, I don't, I hate failure. And, um, I think, a lot of competitive people probably say the same thing. So yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm driven. I'm lucky. There's something that's been in me, um, from as long as I can remember where I just am driven to be successful, not just in baseball, but, um, in, in, in all walks of life. It's your personality. And so that's, it's interesting what you just said, because recently, um, I guess as a freshman, my son doubled up in honors math classes and he didn't, one of his teachers was probably a little, not as good as the other one. And his grade slipped a little bit in the second marking period. And when I, when he came home, we were talking about it and he was agitated about his grade going down. And I said something about, you know, I, I started talking about like, well, don't worry. I think your teacher. And he looked at me, he was like, Oh, I don't care what she thinks. He's, he's <laughs> like, I'm not getting that grade for her or for school or for anything. And it's for me. And, yeah. and he's competitive with that. So and and it does make sense. So Colin also is a he's an outfielder. He's a he's he he play he can play anywhere on the field pretty much. But he loves being in center field, and and so he he'll tell me that a ball if a ball gets into a gap, he said while he's tracking it down, there's a little part of him that hopes the guy tries to stretch it to two. <laughs> and, 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 and do you and do you have that kind of feeling? Like you're like, oh, I hope I turn around and that idiot's trying to turn this into a double. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. yeah for sure. I mean, I uh, I've always loved the defensive part of the game in particular. So I mean, I, yeah, like I tell I tell kids all the time. It, it may sound silly, but like every almost every pitch, I'm going, all right, hit it to me, hit it to me. Like I want to be on Sports Center with this next play. Like I, I'm literally thinking, like I want to make a great play every night. And you know, I don't ultimately like I'm, I'm not after the game. I'm not at home, like just watching Sports Center to try to watch myself. But 
if it kind of does fuel me, like I want to make a great play. I want to make a play that everybody in the ballpark will remember and everybody on the other team will remember. Oh, shot down the right side. That's got some carry. And a diving attempt and a catch by Full. Oh, my goodness. He caught that ball. Sam Full, a great catch. You won't see many better than that one. I'll tell you, Pierre might have been able to round the bases for an inside-the-park grand slam, and ball straight out made a sensational. And that helps. I mean, there's yeah. defense, playing defense, playing outfield in particular. You know, that, that first step is important, and and the mental side of it, it's easy, obviously, to lose track of, to lose focus. A lot of downtime in between pitches and in between innings, and there's a ton of opportunity to be distracted and, and not really lock in on every pitch. And I think that's what makes the great defenders so good is they're focused all the time. Yeah. And so that, that's sort of my last thought about baseball. And then I'm going to lead into another idea, but, but that's, I, I say to people all the time, you know, like I, I take, I'll take my son to a field at, at 11 for a game that doesn't start until one. And it's, it's a hundred degrees outside and, you know, and the game ends at three and he's drenched. And, and if you, if you asked him, if you said to him, Hey, they're going to go again, he would just, he'd run right back out again. <laughs> and, and in between all those pitches in that game, you never see him lose focus. He's always watching the game. He's always got that feeling like, like what I taught him when he was little, especially in the outfield, when you're trying to you're trying to make the outfield sound a little sexier to a nine-year-old when nobody really hits the ball out there. I always told him, look, at some point today, the game might need you, and you need to be ready when the game needs you. Like, yeah. you know, and, and he really seems to have taken to that. So, so I kind of talked all about that because I want to ask you, the more athletes I speak to who have type 1 diabetes, the more I hear very similar you know, kind of tones coming from them. And my, and my question to you, which I haven't asked before, is how much do you think your personality and the way you, you approach things, how much of that do you think is involved in how successful you are with your type one? Oh, I think it's huge. I, there's no, no doubt about it. I think, um, I think they've kind of fed off of each other. So I, I think I had a, a pretty good work ethic and I was a mature 10 year old. So I was pretty well equipped to handle, um, you know, T1D management at, at a, pretty young age of 10. Um, but I think it sort of enhanced my ability to discipline myself and to be focused. Um, and so I think, yeah, I mean, sometimes I I don't know, I, I I like to view things in a positive light. So I I often think about would I be the baseball player I am now if I didn't have type one? Um, and I think, I think they've helped each other. I think, um, I was a driven kid. I mean, before I was type one, I was definitely like, okay, I'm going to, be the best baseball player I can be and I'm going to be the best student I can be. And I was, I was a pretty motivated kid for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I think it furthered that, that notion and that drive. Um, and, and it, I think I just have always enjoyed challenges. So, you know, at, at age 10, here comes this crazy life altering disease. And I, there was never any thought in my mind, like, Oh man, this is gonna, this is, gonna hold me back I'm not gonna be the baseball player I wanted to be instead it was like I'm gonna be I'm gonna take this challenge head on and I'm gonna be even better because of this disease and so to to 24 years ago what did that look like I mean you leave the hospital with what needles and a meter or not even <laughs> yeah needles and a meter I mean it hasn't 
Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I, it's funny. My treatment of type one really didn't change a whole lot. I mean, I was using syringes, the same syringes I used at 24 years ago, I was probably using 10 years ago. And I it wasn't until about 10 years ago that I switched to using an insulin pen. But um, yeah, I mean, the meter was, I think the countdown was maybe 25 seconds, maybe 20. Right. Um, so at the time, it didn't seem like a huge inconvenience. But now that I have, you know, the five second countdown, I'm, I'm like, I, I can't imagine waiting 25 seconds to get a reading now. Uh, but yeah, and I would, uh, I, I don't know for sure, but I feel like it was around that time that, you know, just about every new diagnosis was, you know, every, every new type one was, you know, at least had access to a, a meter and not like a, you know, urine samples to, to gauge your blood sugar. Um, so, I, you know, it, it hasn't certainly technology has come a long way and I haven't even, um, you know, I'm pretty old school in my management as is. I'm, I'm I use pens. I've I've tink, I've used a pump um, briefly, uh, but I I went back to using insulin pens and I use a meter. I don't use a CGM, so I guess um uh, I'm a little behind in the in the times. I haven't taken full advantage of the technology out there, um, and that's not and that's just because of uh, I mean it for multiple reasons that I haven't gone down that road, but I think I've just felt comfortable in my management using what I've, what I've always used. And in addition, I've just been a little wary of putting something on my body the way that I play. And I know that there are a hundred thousands of type one baseball players who are probably who tell me, don't worry about it. Like you can, you can do it. But I just feel like given the success I've had in managing my, my type one and um it's it's really comes down to a comfort level i I don't know if i'd feel totally comfort comfortable wearing a pump uh, or a cgm while i'm playing yeah because you're start you'd be starting over again and learning something completely from the beginning so like my 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 daughter plays you know softball she's not she's not flying around like you are but she wears an she wears a an omnipod while she's doing it so she's constantly has her insulin going and and one thing that I find is, and this is this is what I what I think is going to be interesting to to talk to you about. So you're managing with a pen and no glucose meter. So you're out in the heat exerting. I don't know if anybody's ever seen you play. You really do fly around. Like what what your your sixties got to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess it's not once, as good as it used to be. I don't think. But well, once you, I guess once you get the job, you don't look anymore, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I've been running sixty-yard dash in a long time. Eighteen years, yeah. I think. Yeah. But but you're really you're really moving around out there. So it's it's hot and it's it's exerting and everything. So how do you how do you for people who are managing with with shots and and kids and their kids want to be active? This is a big. You know, this is a big stumbling block, especially for parents and for kids who are concerned they're going to go out there and get low. Um, and at the same time, like I see with my daughter, if her blood sugar gets much above 180, I can actually see her foot speed decrease. Mm-hmm. So so how do you, you know, if a game starts at 7 p.m., when do you start getting yourself together to, to get out on the field? And how do you, like, where do you like your blood sugar to be when you're playing and, and stuff like that? Yeah, Um I've always aimed to be in the mid 100s when I'm playing, um, and, and I think I guess to step back, I, one of the one of the reasons I don't 
use a CGM or I haven't felt the the need to is I am still pretty sensitive to, to my lows. I feel them coming on. Okay. And so if I feel uh, it really anywhere below 80, I, I feel it. Um, okay. and so that helps me. I, I can feel myself going low and I can nip it in the bud before it becomes an issue. And, but I'm also extra diligent during the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm checking myself a lot, you know, I mean, at least three times a game, you know, every couple innings really. And cause I want to make sure that I'm in the right, right spot. I, you know, 150 is kind of ideal for me. And, and obviously there's a ton of variables that, <laughs> that are involved. If it's, we're playing in Arlington, Texas and it's a hundred degrees and it's a day game, I might shoot to be a little bit higher. You know, it's, um, again, it, every, because you expect the fall, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but baseball's challenging. I mean, you can have there are uh, a lot of it is unpredictable. You know, I could go three for three with a triple and two doubles and make a bunch of running plays in the outfield, and I've done a heck of a lot more than if I went over four with three strikeouts and got no action in the outfield. So, right. you know, that that part is is difficult to uh, predict, but. Again, I, I think I'm I'm lucky in that I can feel myself going low. And if for some reason I um, I haven't checked in the last you know half hour, forty five minutes, and we have a long inning in the outfield, I've I've always got something on me. I've got um, sounds silly, but I, I keep a like a handful of bubble gum in my back pocket. So if I if I feel the need to, um, to dig into my back pocket. I've always got something there too. While you're in a long inning in the field, you can you can help yourself too there. Yeah, yeah. Not afraid. Maybe afraid to wear a CGM, but I'm not afraid to have like eight pieces of bubble gum in my back pocket. <laughs> well, you know, if you fall on the gum or you fall on the CGM, it's probably going to feel about the same. So. <laughs> True. Gum's less expensive. Yeah, than yeah exactly. CGM. So okay, so that so that's really interesting because what I see because my daughter is using a glucose monitor. What I see is. That and I and I wonder about this for you too. Um, if you, you know, I use this example all the time. If you take my daughter out back and we hit off a tee or she, we have a catch or something like that, her blood sugar may go down from activity. But if you take her to a field, keep score, tell her it's important, her blood sugar goes up from from that. You know, from 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 the desire to win. It's it's really interesting how quickly it hits her. And so, yeah, so no, she, I, I've encountered that a lot myself. I mean, that's another part that, that kills me is that, you know, I'll be on the bench, uh, you know, I won't start that night and my blood sugar will be just, you know, it'll be fine. You know, it'll be 150 and then all of a sudden I get called upon a pinch hit. Right. And I mean, within minutes, you know, I'll go pinch hit and my heart rate will be a thousand and it'll be a big pressure situation and I'll come back to the dugout and I'm like 300. I mean, it happens within 20 minutes and, and uh that is really difficult to, to control, but, uh, you know, you do what you can. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's playing, we took off winter from softball. Um, she doesn't have the same, uh, even though, even though she's been more successful as a little league player than my son ever was, she's, she's not looking to hit a softball in February. And so, <laughs> so she's been playing basketball and I've been getting her to games at 89, 90 steady. And I have to, I have to bolus insulin when the game starts because by the time the insulin starts working on her it's just her blood sugar shooting up already yeah and, and it's interesting if the game goes along and they're winning by a lot and it it doesn't hit her the minute the score gets tight it's 
like that sat yeah. there. So yeah, no, I, I I was when I was a kid, I would get particularly amped up for games, and I couldn't hold any food down. Like I could, I had no appetite, and I would go to these day games with no appetite, and it would just be a it would be a giant mess because yeah, I would have some stress, which would make my blood glucose levels elevate. But then by the end of a you know long whatever seven inning game. I'm crashing, so I would like carry around these insures or boosts, like these liquid lunches, basically. It's like the only thing I could get to keep down with my nerves. Um, but we found a way to to manage it somehow. Yeah. So that's the that's the downside of having to bolus for adrenaline while she's playing, which is unlike food that sits in your stomach and digests and slowly keeps your blood sugar elevated. When adrenaline stops, it stops. Yeah. So yeah. so you put on you. I have to put in, you know, it's obviously your body weights are much different, but she needs a unit and a half just to stop the adrenaline from, from sports. And then the minute the game ends and the adrenaline's gone, we have to find food pretty quickly because, yep. because the insulin's still working and, and there's no more adrenaline. It's, it really is fascinating. And, and, yeah. and to think that you have to do it that many times a year, I mean, you know, such a long season and and all the travel and and everything still that's involved it, it it seems like such an endeavor but you've been in the league for for a long time right you've been at this for a while yeah yeah i mean you make it work you find you find a way to, to make it work it, right. it it's um i think the, one of the important things is recognizing that it's every day is different and you're never going to have a a grasp on things a full you know um every day presents a new challenge and yeah, it's you have to be pretty humble in the way you handle it. It's um, you can never take anything for granted, and yeah, the the there are a lot of challenges. I think um, we have the, the travel is is difficult. The time changes. Um, you know, just playing games at different times of day. You know, there's a big difference between playing at one o'clock and a seven o'clock game. And then um, the other one of the other challenges is just we, we are fed a lot of food in the clubhouse, a lot of different kinds of food, but, you know, none of it has a nutrition label. It's all, you know, kind of like catered food brought in on trays. And there's a lot of guessing that goes on. Uh, but yeah, it's funny. Uh, and I wouldn't, I always recommend, you know, logging as much information as you can. Um, and, and obviously the more access you have to real concrete nutritional information and, um, you know, all the data that goes along in managing type one really helps, but, it, but I, I found that years and years after years and years of, of dealing with it, you kind of have like this pretty incredible innate sense of what you're putting in your body, um, and what, what'll ultimately keep you in a, in a, in a the right reading. Yeah. Somebody asked me recently about a big meal and they said, how did you count those carbs? And I said, Oh, I didn't. I just, that <laughs> I knew how much insulin it was going to take for her to eat yeah. what I was looking at. And that takes years of, of practice and everything to, to, to get together. It's interesting. And I'm glad people are hearing this because when I talk about management, it's so much different for me because Arden's wearing a CGM, you know, I, we pre bolus by, you know, 15 minutes or more before she eats if I see her rise over more than 150, I add insulin afterwards. You, you know, like I can, I spend my time bumping that line around on the on the CGM graph. Mm -hmm. But you're doing it from a much a much different perspective and doing it really well, which I think is really valuable for people to hear because 
because there's so many people using the technology now, you, you know, the, the, the good kind of advice and tips for how to do it without the technology doesn't really exist as much. And you're doing it at a high, a high level. So it's really, I think, encouraging to hear how well you're doing with it. And thank you. No, no I, I wonder sometimes if, if it would uh, benefit every, everyone who is taking advantage of the wonderful technology to maybe, you know, take a month off away from it and maybe see how it works. just, yeah, yeah. And not, not for any, you know, maybe just, it might provide some other value um, in going forward with the technology just to get a better feel for um, what it takes to, instead of constantly correcting and, and throughout the day, maybe you can do that. Maybe you can limit the amount of corrections you have by just changing your diet or um, being a little more consistent with your, your routines, whatever that routine may be. Yeah, stuff you wouldn't see the other way. Because soon, you know, in the next couple of years, you're going to get diagnosed and be given what's basically an artificial pancreas of some sort. Right. And and then you really aren't going to understand diabetes at all, really. And <laughs> you won't need to, you know, if, yeah. if that thing. And then what do you do the day it doesn't work? Yeah. You, you, you know, so that's a great – so, okay, so you, you've been through a lot of interesting things. You've played Little League. We haven't really touched on the fact that you played at Stanford in college and you're playing in the majors. Have, have you ever had a moment where you felt like somebody – didn't want you on their squad because of this. After the break, we'll find out if anyone's ever not wanted Sam on their team because of his type 1 diabetes. But first, an ad from Omnipod. You want to do what you want, when you want, without worry, including all those fun activities like baseball. Omnipod can help. You get continuous insulin delivery, and it's waterproof, so you don't have to disconnect for daily activities like showering or swimming. Even better, it's totally discreet with no tubing. We're going to get back to that in a second. No tubing to tangle or to dictate what you wear, which is pretty great. The best way to understand Omnipod is to try it for yourself. So get a free demo kit, including a sample non-functioning pod by going to www.myomnipod.com forward slash demo or following the links in the show notes. Because when you do that, Omnipod knows you came from the Juice Box podcast, which helps me. And when I'm helped, you're helped, because then I can sit down and talk to Sam Folt. Hey, don't forget, when you do this, when you try the demo pod, there's absolutely no obligation. Okay, so back to there not being any tubing for a second. I have got to share this story with you. So I seen these people online the other day talking about, now I'm not a cat owner, we have dogs, but these cat owners talking about how the cats are really attracted to their insulin pump tubing. And they don't just play with it and pull at it, but sometimes they bite on it and kink it and, and go crazy. And as I'm reading through this thread, I thought, wow, that's interesting. And imagine this, even if I had a cat, it wouldn't matter because there's no tubing on an Omnipod. So that should be the new tagline for Omnipod. Omnipod, let's see, the only tubeless insulin pump in the world. No, 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 Omnipod, the only insulin pump that won't be attacked by a house cat. That's what, that should be it. I'm going to call the marketing department and see if they won't move this around for me. Omnipod. No tubing and no cat problems. It's not a bad deal. Hit hard to center. Fold going back, still going back. Leaps and makes a tremendous catch. Crashing into the fence in center field. Almost exactly where Aaron Hicks suffered his concussion last night. Fold hangs on to the ball with a great first inning grab. Yeah, good question. I get that. I get that asked a lot, and I'm I'm pretty lucky. I, you know, the short answer is no. Uh, my, I, you know, my 
my dad coached me a lot growing up, Little League and, and um, you know, summer ball throughout, you know, basically all the way through high school. So, you know, that was a non-issue, obviously. Um, and beyond that, you know, in college, I, I, my mentality with it has always been obviously inform the people, your, your coaches and your training staff, obviously they need to know. Um, but I've tried to downplay the significance of it. And I don't, my goal in a lot of ways is for them to not even know that I have it. Obviously they're going to know, but I I don't ever want it to be an issue for them. Right. And I think that, I, I don't know, I've been lucky. I've had some supportive and understanding coaches, even, even coaches who haven't had any experience with a type one player previously, but, um, in, in, in my professional career, I, I think, you know, I think I'm lucky that in that every, you know, even in the minor leagues, you're, you're always, or you have a trainer on staff, you know, all, all season, every game. Um, so I think coaches don't need to feel like they're involved in any way with, with type one. They know, yeah. you know, and, and a goal of mine, another goal of mine is to never, I've never knocked on wood, never had to come out of a game because of, lower high blood sugar. Uh, I've stayed in every game that I've played in, you know, thousands of games. Um, and I think that really has helped too. I mean, a coach never, I've never even had a coach ask me like, do you, how are you feeling? Like, um, so, so I've been lucky. I, I hear a lot of horror stories out there. Coaches, especially youth coaches, just not, um, treating those, the type one athletes as other athletes. And, and I, that stinks. The only the only thing I've run into that I found is interesting is that even after a, a pretty lengthy explanation and you think that someone understands, when it comes time to actually do something, then you recognize like, oh, they probably weren't taking it that seriously when I explained it to them. Or, you, you know, they don't, I don't think, like, my daughter's been playing for the same guys for years. And still, I, as much as they would say, we got it, I don't know that they do exactly understand. Yeah. You, you know, so, um, and Arden's, uh, she plays third base, and uh, which is, you would find amusing if you saw how small she was, but um, she's, she's a a really active third baseman with a good arm. And so we were, she was playing for some, some in some title day where, you know, because of a rain out the day before they were going to play like three games in a row. And somewhere in the middle of the second game, she came off the field after being in the field and, and she just walked right through the dugout and she waved her hands at me, which was very unlike her. And I walked over to her and she goes, some, she goes, something's wrong. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And I, I looked at the, the CGM real quick, and she was 100. And so I was like, okay. I said, she's like, something's really wrong. My blood sugar's falling. So, you know, the technology, this was a, 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 a previous generation. The technology probably wasn't as good as it is now. So she, but when I tested her, her blood sugar was like 33. Mm. And, and then all of a sudden, the glucose monitor adjusted itself and said 33 and falling. She must have taken in. 80 carbs, you know, for a child who, who weighs 65 pounds. Right. And, and, um, it was not her turn to bat. She, her, her, her at bat didn't come up that half of the inning. She didn't go back out on the field. She laid on the bench with her head on my lap and, and tried to pull herself together. She said her head was spinning. Like she was everything. And, and when her at bat came up in the next inning, she, you know, she was about 65 or 70 at that point, she was coming back up and she still didn't look great. And, and the coach said, you know, can she go out there and just stand there and strike out? And, and, and I said to her, I was like, I, they, honey, they need you to, 
I said, if you can go out and take this at bat, like they need you to, or, you know, it, it kind of, you know, there's weird little league rules and it would have really messed things up. And, right. and she was like, no, 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 I can do it. And I was like, oh, okay. So she went out and she hacked and hacked and hacked and fouled <laughs> off a couple. And every time she fouled off a ball, she'd run it out to first. And all I was thinking was like, just, just, would you just stand there, please? Stand there. Yeah. She, the one time you don't want your daughter to hustle. Yeah, yeah. Right? And she couldn't stop herself from playing the way she plays. Yeah. And, and then she came back and I said, how do you feel? And she's like, I'm going to go back in the field. I'm fine. And I was like, okay. And, yeah. and that was the end. It was the only time she, cool. she plays a lot, you know? So yeah. no, that's a great mentality to have. That's always been my mentality. Don't let like, just, you can fight through. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a dangerous and potentially lethal disease, but at the same time you can, you can battle through some pretty crummy moments and, and be just fine. I think it, there's a balance there that, that, uh, you have to strike, but I think it's important to maybe fight through some moments where some people would say, all right, you need to sit this out. And I don't know, I'm probably saying the wrong things. I'm probably <laughs> subject to a lawsuit now that some <laughs> no. go out there at 30 and, and try to play. But um, <laughs> no, I think within reason, it, it, you can certainly play, th play through some moments where you're, where you're not 100%, because the reality is I'm, your, your body's never 100%. I mean, the day, the day you start after opening day or after the first day of spring training, your body is never a hundred percent. So I think the same goes for, for type one management. Well, Sam, listen, first of all, in every juice box podcast, we say that nothing you hear on the juice box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. We like to get that out of the way at some point. Good. Don't, don't worry. This is just your opinion in your life. <laughs> all right. Pressure's off. Here, here's a, here's a, a, another quick story. I think you'll love. She, she's Arden's playing in a, in a, like a, maybe it was a spring game they were getting ready for the Little League uh, because my town's won the Little League World Series for softball once and been there like three times. So living here and having a softball player, like they'll burn your house down if your kid's not good at it. You, you know, like it's it's pretty high. <laughs> yeah. So they're getting ready in the spring to play in, in Little League. And she's on deck and she looks over at me from across the field and she goes, when I get the first, I'm going to need a juice. <laughs> and so <laughs> it wasn't like – if I get to first, it's like right. so when, I, when I get on. And so she got on, she called timeout and I was standing like behind the fence. I tossed, you know, I, I walked the juice over to her. She stuck it through her helmet and sucked it down in two seconds. And she's like, all right, I'm good. Thanks. Oh and my gosh. And she's like 10, you know, that is, that is beautiful. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's really I wish cool. I had that confidence sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I strike out, get that juice box ready for me. That's <laughs> guys. I'm gonna, so, so how many people, how many guys that you play with? Like if you, if you got a far away look on your face, Face. Are there guys you know that would be like, "Hey, Sam, are you all right?" Or do you, yeah, yeah. I mean, inevitably, play with guys who are familiar with it, um, one way or the other, through family or friends. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's all it's it's entertaining to hear. Again, unless like you're really personally connected with it, it's obviously you know as well as anybody that people just don't understand yeah and then you hear some pretty funny comments i mean i'd say more than half my teammates still think that if i go low i need insulin right because <laughs> that's what they do on um, television all the time yeah right i mean it, it's yeah i mean and we could probably have a full podcast on some of the ridiculous comments that you hear um but yeah i, I think uh a lot of guys are curious. It's kind of cool. Like I feel like I'm continually educating people too. So I, I enjoy talking about it with other guys. I'm comfortable, obviously uh, explaining every and anything to teammates. And, and um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, 
between my trainers and my teammates, I'm, I'm pretty well covered. If for some, for some reason I, I fall out, I'm going to have some pretty good support on hand. How about your family? Like your, I, I like to ask this of adults because it, it fascinates me just because it's not my situation, but how involved or not involved is your wife? I mean, yeah, she's, she's involved. Like, I mean, she has to be, um, you know, I think, she certainly knows when when things aren't going well for me, and uh, I don't even need to, to say anything. I think if I'm just, uh, you know, we have uh, our own little language in some ways when I'm going low, like uh, she understands it, and um, she's incredibly supportive. I, I think uh, the type 3 diabetics like her get, get overlooked, and like yourself, and, and uh, that's a whole other um part of the management that gets overlooked, I think. Um, so she's, she's on top of it. And, and even my kids, I mean, it's pretty funny hearing my kids, uh, continually, um, learn about it. You know, my six year old has a better understanding of it than my four year old. And my four year old has a better understanding of it. my two year old. My two year old thinks that diabetes is just called low blood sugar and that, uh, that all I need are bars because I keep bars by my bedside table. And that's like, <laughs> that's the extent of it. Yeah, so it's pretty comical. It's it's fun to see them, uh, you know, learn and learn as we go along here. So is there is there other um, other endocrine issues in your family? Like I know you said that there's no type one, but are there other people who deal with different endocrine issues? That's what we found out. Arden is the only type one sort of in our family line, but when we stopped and looked, other people had different issues. No, my father has an autoimmune uh, thyroid disorder, but other otherwise. Um, as far as we know, there's, there's nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. So did you, so you had children when, I mean, you knew you had diabetes when you, when you, when you started a family and did that, was that ever something you thought about? Like, um, not really. No. I mean, I think about it, of course, now that we have children, anytime they go to the bathroom more than like two times in a couple hours, it's a, it's a panic alert, but you know, I, no, it never Weighed, it, weighed into any sort of decision making whether to have kids or how many to have right. um, I think no I, you know I think uh, if if the time if, if one of them or multiple uh, get diagnosed then then we'll be well equipped to handle it and obviously we're, we're making strides in, in the way we handle and treat type one so I think their uh, their future with type one is a lot brighter than than mine was 24 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, have you ever done trial on that for them? You know what that is? Yeah, no, I'm familiar. We haven't. I, I think part of what I, I don't, you know, mixed feelings. I don't want to, if, if you know, I don't want to be, if, if the genetic marker is present, I don't want to be continually, uh, we're already on red alert enough as is. I don't, I don't, I don't want any more of that. I, listen, I completely, I, I'll tell you right now that when my son did it, and you know the the it comes in the mail. You know they, they're changing it now. I actually just talked to somebody from China. It's all going to be you're not even going to have to go anywhere soon to do it. You're going to be able to do it from home and just mail the blood. It's going to be really cool. But but back when my son did it, you know the the results come in the mail, and I opened it up standing at the end of my driveway, and he didn't have any of the markers, and and I was just like, can I make it back to the house without crying in the front yard? I'm so happy. Or oh like, you know, like it's just. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I really do. Um, yeah, it's like a college. I mean, get ready because he'll be he'll be getting the same letters for college. It's probably the same idea. Yeah. So okay. So that's so. It seems like we're going backwards a little bit. But so you hit another kind of important thing. So you, you're an adult who went through college with with type one, and not just college, but but 
actively playing a sport. So you played for Stanford baseball. And by the way, Stanford, congratulations. Your mom must still tell people. And, and, <laughs> and but, but what was that like? I mean, what do you, I mean, did you have the full college experience? Do you know how to manage your type one with drinking and, and all that or? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, definitely an adjustment. Um, especially given that I was, you know, I grew up in New Hampshire, so I, uh, this was a, a world away from home. And so I, there was a lot, it was a lot to learn. You know, I think it, it was, uh, it would have been a huge adjustment without type one, um, just given the, the demands that playing at a, a you know, a division one baseball school, the, the hours that we put in with baseball. And then obviously the, on the academic side too, there wasn't a whole lot of time left to, do anything. Do anything, yeah. Uh, you know, I, um, but, and then you throw you throw in there's there's that I, I would imagine from just about every type one who goes away to college, there's that adjustment where you have freedom and you know, I think every type one parent is rightfully so, uh to some degree, you know, on uh plays a huge role in their adolescence management. And I think when suddenly that goes away, there's a there's a big void and it's invigorating, but scary at the same time. And so I think, you know, I, I remember my first, I guess it was probably first couple months where I would like, you know, you'd go to the dining hall and not only do we were just out on the baseball field for five hours of practice, but suddenly you get exposed to all this food and there's nobody looking after you and you can just eat whatever the heck you want and however much you want. And, uh, it took me a little while to figure out, okay, maybe this isn't the best thing for my manager. Maybe I should scale back on the chocolate cake or the, the fatty, you know, chicken wings that are laying there or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I think you, every kid who goes away to college, whether they're diabetic or not, takes, takes advantage of that freedom. And, and certainly you just have to be a little bit, uh, before anything serious happens, you have to be a little more cognizant that, that uh, you can't necessarily do those things on a regular basis when you're in college. Yeah. So I'm trying to, you know, imagine the future obviously. And, and there's the part of it that you just mentioned, which is that we're so involved and, and we try very hard to give Arden knowledge, like slowly of what she's doing so that hopefully we're handing it off to her gently. And by the time she hits a certain age in her teens, I'm hoping she's, she's kind of got it down, but I'm assuming there'll be some pushback at times, like you're saying. And at the same time, I'm mixing in what I'm thinking about my son while you're talking, which is, I like that he's an academic kid and that he might get to play baseball in college. And I think, oh, maybe that'll take up enough of his free time that he won't be able to get in trouble while he's there. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and you visit, like he's, he's at that point now, Sam, like you, you, he's played at a couple of schools and, you know, they did a, they did a showcase at like Stony Brook that's local to us. And, and after the game, a guy from the, from the program came in with a piece of paper, had five like Jersey numbers written on it. And he said, if these kids want to go on a tour, we'll take them on a tour. And, and Cole was one of them. And as you're walking around, they fit, they go, like, oh, it's going to be great because they've got an advisor that'll help them with their grades. You know, with studying, if they have trouble, they'll bring in you know tutors for them. You know, they're, they're going to show up at five in the morning to work out, and then they're going to have classes. And like in my heart, all I can think is, oh my god, this is great. They'll have no time, <laughs> no time to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And then you turn around and bump into a girl in the hallway who goes, oh, that baseball team, like they're the biggest problem. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> So yeah, because those those small windows of freedom you take advantage of, I guess. That's the danger. <laughs> if you have nothing but free time, then 
maybe you, uh, it's not the same <laughs> motivation to do it. Yeah, no, we, I experienced that a lot. I had like no time. I mean, I didn't, you know, if you, you asked me to get the full Stanford experience, and I think I did, except for the social aspect. I mean, I was pretty limited socially. And yeah, I mean, the funny part is we would play, you know, the way the college baseball schedule is constructed. You play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then typically have a Monday, you know, you're required to have one day off a week. So Mondays were typically our day off. So if we wanted to get in any trouble, it would be on a Sunday night when the whole campus was asleep or uh, studying for, for Monday's exam. So it was it was a pretty limited opportunity to do anything really dumb. That still makes me feel a little better, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay, so you know, so that that's kind of that's interesting. So you're you're at school. It is it is a really a significant schedule, you, you know, between between classes and and working out and everything like that. Do you get a chance to see your endo as like you normally did when you were at home, or do you just when you go home at holidays? Did you? Did yeah, you- it was it was mainly you know yeah it was it was uh, I, I limited it to going back home for the holidays and, and over the summer. You know, I, I if need be, I, I had access to a, a pretty good hospital at Stanford Hospital. So, but I. I uh, Honestly, I can't remember ever going there for to see an endo while you were at school. So while while you were away, at least in the beginning, did you find yourself ever leaning on your parents? Did you ever did you ever contact them, or were you pretty well managed yourself by the time you left for school? It's pretty independent, you know. Um, they, I think my parents did a pretty good job of, of staying on top of me from the, from the get go, but also giving me some freedom. And in some ways I lucked out. I, I mean, I, about a month after I was diagnosed, my fourth or fifth grade class was going away, um, on like a, a one week environmental getaway. And my parents, my parents let me do it. And I, and I, I spent a couple nights away from my parents, you know, a month after diagnosis. So that sort of set the tone for, for my independence. And, and I, um, uh, in high school, I went to a boarding school, although I was a day student. It meant that I was spending a lot of time away from them on campus. Um, and so that was a nice transition, too, in, in getting uh, getting small snippets of freedom. So, yeah, I was – they were always there to lean on. Um, but I think in terms of, like, the day-to-day management, once I got out to Stanford, it was I was pretty much on my own. Yeah, doing a good job. So so if I'm, if I'm not mistaken – you get drafted while you're in college. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, between your junior and senior year, or yeah, I got, well, I got drafted after my junior year, um, and then I had to wait to wait to the the decision to go back to school or to sign, and I decided to go back to school. So I got drafted after my junior year, and then uh, once you go back to if you decide to go back to school, you're um, essentially those draft rights are gone, um, and then you are back into the draft uh for the next june amateur draft so who took you who took you the first time and then you went back <laughs> the cubs actually took me both times they got you both. Um, yeah pretty pretty rare i think i i thought i pissed them off after i didn't sign and so they were like the last team i thought would draft me again after my senior year but right. um sure enough they came calling it's, a, it's so that's really obviously i'm assuming it'll be interesting to a lot of people but it's very interesting to me because obviously my son's only 16 and a lot could, you know, playing baseball in college is a, is a special leap, and and we don't we don't really talk about it, but baseball is a is is such an interesting game because it you know when little league starts, 
I always tell my son it's like a pyramid. You know, a lot of people fit around the base of the pyramid when everything starts. And then, you know, people get a little better, their bodies change, you take a step up, there's a little less space on the pyramid. By the time you get to the top, there's only a, a select few people who are still holding on. There's just, there's no footing anymore. In it. And as it moves on, there's less and less. So being a really good 16-year-old baseball player doesn't even necessarily mean you're going to be great when you're 17 or 18 or, you know, right. you'll be able to hit in high school or maybe you'll lose <laughs> something along the way. So obviously right. there's a lot that can come and go between that. And I get that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's when you, you have some, when it's very difficult to sit and talk to him when you're, you're thinking, wow, you're probably right at an Ivy League level with your grades. And <laughs> if you can't play at those schools, you know, be, because you don't pop up to, you know, some impressive size. And I don't, you know, I know you're not a, you're not an over six feet guy, but at the same time, you know, your athleticism, I'm, I'm sure made up for it. It's, but, and I don't know how it was then compared to now, but you know, I, my, run my son through a couple of these things and it, it's a pretty big meat market mentality. They're going to scoop <laughs> yeah. up as many giant kids as they can and right. the ones that wash out, wash out and they'll stick with the ones that, that stay behind. Yeah. But how it, did, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I, I think that that has changed quite a bit over the last, well, since I went through it, um, 15, 20 years ago, I, I think it, um, I was beginning, you were beginning to see that it evolve right around when I was in high school to where, the showcase, the summer showcase scene is, and the travel ball, summer travel ball scene has changed quite a bit. Um, and yeah, they were us little guys are always going to be <laughs> a little disadvantaged. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I, the way I combated it was with a lot of hustle and I wasn't going to wow anybody with my size, but I was, I could, I could always stand out by my hustle and the way I played. And that's, you know, that's difficult to do, I guess, when you're just at a showcase and you're basically taking batting practice and running a 60-yard dash. But if anybody got the opportunity to see me playing games, they, they knew that I was going all out all the time. And I think um, there are plenty of college coaches out there that really love that. And I think that's important to know. Maybe from a professional baseball scout's vantage point sure they want the guy with like the crazy raw athleticism but there are a lot of college coaches who have had really successful programs because they just recruit a bunch of hard-working you know blue-collar type baseball players so you know that's encouraging to know and, and again we're not you know this isn't basketball or football there's if dustin pedroia is one of the best players in the game there's always going to be hope for little guys you know he's tiny and, and isn't the most, most athletic guy, but the guy plays so hard and is so smart and plays um, way beyond his size and is one of the best players of our generation. So I think um, there's comfort in knowing that. And it just maybe takes a little bit more, uh, more hustle and a little more, uh, um, maybe just some good luck at times. Yeah, it's tough. It's, I mean, from a parenting standpoint, and I, you know, you and I have only been talking for an hour. I, I'm not a lunatic. You know, I just... My kid can play and great and, you know, some people think their kids can play and they can't. There's no way to know who knows and who doesn't know. You just got to let it all wash out. But it's hard to watch. My son is going to be 16 in a couple of weeks. He's 5'10". He's about 160 pounds. If you looked at him, you'd say, wow, he's built to play in center field. Like he, he's got the right build and he's athletic and loves baseball and all this stuff. But when you talk to him, what he basically thinks is if I don't grow two more inches, I'm not going to play in college. Like that's all he, that's all he thinks about. Like yeah. he, he grew a he grew a literally a quarter of an inch in the last 30 days, 
and he walked away from the measurement. My wife's like, look at him trying to hold his smile in. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and like, you know, and that's, yeah. and it sucks because, yeah. because in the end, it's funny. I feel like I'm making an excuse, but I just heard you say it, which makes me feel much better. Is what I end up telling people is you really need to watch him play. Right. You, you know, and every year starts over, even in travel, you get a new coach every year. And even though you're in the same organization, you know, you start over with a new guy who doesn't know you. I watch my son show up at the first practice. They put him in left field. He always gets stuck in left field. <laughs> and then one ball gets out there to him that, you know, is over his shoulder at the fence or something like that. And he makes it look like he's not even moving. And then all of a sudden the poor kid in center field gets pulled over. Something gets whispered in his ear. My son gets shifted <laughs> to center field. He never comes out again, but not yeah. once in all those seasons, does anyone look at him and go, Oh, we'll start with him in center. Even though I know right. he played center last year, the whole, the whole season. Right. It, yeah. You know? Yeah. There's like, um, it's discrimination almost. I mean, it really is. It's, it's not. It's not fair. But uh, it, you know, it, it does make those moments when you do get uh, moved from left to center. It makes it even sweeter. You know, it's the same with my. I look at my career and I go, man, if I were like six three, two hundred and ten pounds, and like a freak athlete, I don't know if I'd really. I don't know if I'd appreciate where I'm at right now the way I do now. I mean, it's I, I did work for it. Yeah, yeah, it really it does it is satisfying. I it really that. is. So my wife and I had that conversation the other night and I just I said that was what I said to her. I was like, look, he's gonna be so much better in the long run because he shows up every year and has to show somebody else that that's where he belongs, you know? Yeah. And uh and it's tough because the the kid in right is, you know, he's already six two, even though he's sixteen, he weighs, you know, hundred and eighty pounds. He can't catch anything, it's more than four or five feet from him, but <laughs> <laughs> he never comes off yeah. the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I believe me. I've seen that a thousand times. These freak athletes who, you know, ultimately, again, that's why baseball is such a cool sport. It's a mix of athleticism, but you also have to have incredible skill. So I think that's part of the reason I love baseball. Cole told me and there won't be any names, so it's just an amusing story. But he said he he played he played a ball in that was basically in right field one time and. The, the right fielder came over and was thanking him as they were jogging back. And my son said, could you learn how to play first, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, all right, Tim. So, we've gone over a lot, obviously, and this has been really generous of you. We're kind of coming up on getting close to an hour. But um, the the one thing I didn't get to ask you that that I'm, I'm still really interested in is um, when you get drafted, you now – it's not like in people's minds, like you don't head over to the Cubs stadium and start playing baseball. They send you somewhere, I'm assuming down south to where did you start? Single A, double A? Where did you where did you get started? Oh yeah. No, I, I it's a it's a long process. It's it's different than you know the NFL or the NBA where you get drafted and you're essentially either on the team or you're sent home. And the, the baseball structure is way different. There's six or seven minor league teams affiliated with each major league team. So, I mean, I, if you ever take the time to look at my career, you, you'll see that I played in like every corner of the U S. And so I was, I signed um, and was sent to Mesa, Arizona, where they have their rookie ball team. And that's where I began my career. I, I actually, they also have their, um, it's where their spring training uh, is. And that's where they have some of the, their rehabilitation facilities there too. So I actually started my career off injured. Um, but then once I 
the next year when I played, I was in Peoria, Illinois, and, and low A ball. And then I was in Daytona Beach, Florida, and high A ball. And then I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and double A. And then Des Moines, Iowa, and triple A. Um, so it was, it, there are a lot of rungs of the ladder that you have to climb. And only the very best really skip any sort of those levels. Uh, otherwise, you're pretty much going to one level at a time. And it can take, um, I mean, for me, I, well, I got called up to the big leagues in my third year of playing, which was relatively quick. And part of that was I was drafted as a 22-year-old senior. Um, but if you're an 18-year-old high school kid, I, you know, you're lucky if you can get up to the big leagues after like six years in the minor leagues. Because they want you to mature. There's only one Mike Trout and and right. so they need you to mature into a man before they bring you up. So at any point, do you find yourself standing in one of those fields like in Georgia where it's a thousand degrees and the clay stains everything? And do you think I have a degree from Stanford? Like, What am I <laughs> doing here? Or, or did you love it so much that didn't you didn't think of it that way? Um, I had my moments. You know, I think for the most part, though, I was just. I, I loved it too much. It was too, I was too close, you know, as far away as you feel from the big leagues when you're like in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, you, no offense, Fort Wayne, but, um, uh, you, you still, you know, you, you still have a uniform on, you still are part of a major league organization and you feel close enough. There, there's enough of a, um, light at the end of the tunnel that I, nothing really, there was never any serious consideration about, uh, about not, you know, giving it up. And I was, I was lucky. I was, you know, I played well throughout my minor league career. I just, I, it took a little bit for me to kind of stick in the big leagues. And, um, but I, I had some, my, you know, support from family and, you know, any friend I talked to was like, are you kidding me? Keep going. The real world stinks. Yeah. Like go play baseball. <laughs> Especially, you know, and when you think, when you really think about it, even even playing it in minor league ball, you're one of a few thousand of the best people on the planet at something, and and that's, I guess that maybe, you know, is is what keeps you going. That idea of it. I, I'll tell you that that my son's met a bunch of guys who have been drafted at points and stuff like that, and one one kid he met was drafted by the White Sox, and and he was playing single A, and he he was doing it okay for a couple of years. My son bumped into him at one point and said, "Hey, you know what what." What surprised you about it? And he said, growing up, I was always the best athlete on my team. He's like, I was the best little league player. I was the best athlete on my college team. He's like, when I got to minors, he goes, we were all as good as each other. And he said that was really startling for him. He said he, he said it was weird to look around and not be better than anybody. Yeah. And, it's a humbling game. It'll it'll humble you at various points. Again, unless you're like Mike Trout, uh, the game will humble you at, at some point. Right. And so my, my humbling came early. I'm glad, you know, I, uh, I did pretty well in my New Hampshire high school baseball career. But then when I got to Stanford, you know, I was like, oh, for my first 20 or, uh, you know, and I was like, okay, this is, uh, this is my moment of, of, of reckoning here. So I, I, uh, you know, you see with high school kids that are drafted, they have to deal with failure for the first time at the professional level. And that can be, Pretty darn challenging. And you're still a kid. Yeah, it's it's it really does stink now because what they're what they're doing now, and I don't know if you have a feeling about it or not, but 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 I, I alluded to it earlier. They're committing so many kids with the idea that if we don't commit them, somebody else will, and if they turn if they work out, then we don't have them, and then if they don't work out, 
it's bad business to just cut them away. So they just stop playing them. They pull them aside and let them know, hey, look, you're never going to get on the field and kind of try to like, like nudge them to go to a different school. Yeah. And, and that really sucks because there's, they've got, you know, Twitter's full of kids going, I'm committing here, I'm committing here. And you think a very small percentage of these kids are ever going to swing a bat at that school. Like, you know, yeah. and that, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, there's, um, that, that is unfortunate. I think it certainly seems to be a race to, to commit guys. I mean, I know guys around here, I'm in, I'm in South Florida. Um, this is where I, I live in, in the off season. So I, I see a lot of really talented kids who, uh, there's a lot of good baseball players in the area and these kids are like 15 and they're committing somewhere. <laughs> I just kind of laugh. I mean, there's obviously nothing tied behind that commitment. There's nothing in writing. It's just a verbal commitment. And, um, I, yeah, it's unfortunate that it's that co- the college coaches feel the need to sort of sign these kids at such a young age. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of the kids and families lose sight of the fact that, uh, you know, it is a wonderful sport, but, the number the, there's so few and far between that actually make a living of it that really the focus should be on um, going to a good school and letting baseball take, give you an opportunity to, to go to a school um, with potentially some scholarship behind it. Yeah. Or maybe I always tell my son, like maybe you'll get a little bump to a school you couldn't have reached academically on your own. Cause you can, exactly. Yeah. And, and it, it is, you know, we were in, we were down in Florida in the, in this fall and, you know, they get off the plane and three hours later they draw a game against, you know, a bunch of kids like mercenaries that they don't know each other. They showed up, they put jerseys on and played. My son, 15, gets in the box. He said the kid pitching to him, 6'2", and he's throwing 89 miles an hour, and he's like 16 years old. My son's like, what the hell? And he goes behind him. There's 40 guys with radar guns pointing at this kid. Yeah. And, and, and Cole said to me later, he goes, I was just there so he could pitch. <laughs> and, yeah. uh and That's they, the way a lot of minor leaguers feel. I think, you know, you look at minor league baseball and there's there are a lot of guys who are just like roster fillers. You're like, I'm just – I have a uniform on so that this first rounder has somebody to pitch to. Yeah, yeah. There was a boy on the other team. We hung with him for a while. and But there was a boy on the other team. He fouled off a ball that left the field on the first base side and cleared the left field wall on the adjacent field. <laughs> and everybody was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah, check the birth certificate. Yeah, yeah, it was really, it was really something else. But at the same time, you know, for 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 kind of mental toughness, you know, it was the first time my son got to chase down a ball in a gap that was hit by a like a grown man, which he he and I'm sure you can attest to. You know, every year he comes to me and he says, "Dad, every year the ball leaves the bat differently." It, he's like, "It gets higher, it gets out there quicker." He's like, "It changes every year," and and I always just tell him, like, you know, dude, the year you can't catch up to it, I you know, <laughs> that's probably when you know you're finished. But so far, he's been you know he's been okay. Um, and so the the mental toughness part, I wanted to bounce back to for a second because I think it kind of it folds into diabetes and might finish us up nicely. The kid I told you about that my son knew that got drafted, he eventually. When we bumped into him three years later, he said, I quit. He's like, I got a job um, and I'm done. And my son's like, why? You know, like, like it was just such a, why did you stop? And he said it was hard to stay focused through the whole season. He said he couldn't, he said, if I could have kept my, he, he quoted some batting average. And he said, I could have kept my batting average above this. He's like, I was great in the field. He's like, I, they would have kept me. He's like, but I just started getting tired as the season drug on. And he's like, and when I got tired, I couldn't focus on hitting. And and I wanted to, to kind of talk to you about that for a second. Like how much of, because at some point your mechanics and, you know, 
muscle twitch and all that stuff is obvious you have it or you don't have it, but how much of being able to hit a ball moving that fast is just about your, your focus? Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I, I think, uh, for those of you who don't know, yeah, baseball, the baseball season is just like incredibly grinding and you've got the major league level, you got 162 games in 183 days. Right. And then you've got 34 roughly spring training games in about 35 days. So, um, it's essentially 200 games with about, you know, 20 days off. Um, so it's an incredible challenge. Um, Physically, um, but also more than anything, mentally. Um, so, I, yeah, it's I, I, you do see a lot where, where guys encounter some failure, and you have to be up to the challenge. The game will wear you down. You know, the it's they don't call them the dog days of summer for nothing. I think there have been I've seen a lot of guys who just hit the month of August and they're just done. Um, and and a lot of times it's more mental than physical. So, uh, it, yeah, I think it takes a special breed and a special, you know, sort of motivated player to, to get through those moments and you kind of have to run through the finish line, however far that finish line seems. Yeah. So I would, I would want people to, to hear that then, especially the parents of young kids who have been diagnosed and know that, you know, although it's so, it's so oppressive in the beginning when, when diabetes comes into your world, if you, once you figure out how to handle it and, and, and stay on top of it, that those those life skills are going to translate into your child's life in a, in a ton of different ways. I mean, Sam's, you know, you're, you're describing a really difficult, uh, a road to hoe over and over and over again, and, and you're doing it plus taking care of your type one. So, I mean, I, I think that to me, that's the message of, of listening to you talk for the last hour, which is that anything really is possible. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, um, if you look at type one as, as a baseball season and it's, yeah, you, it, it really helps me to, kind of keep your, uh, keep your head down and don't look ahead too much and, and don't go, you know, I think a lot of, this is a little bit off topic, but I think one of, one of the reasons I've been, um, you know, capable of handling the disease is I don't necessarily look to, uh, that cure, that moment of a cure. I think it's instead I, I deal with it on a day to day basis and I go, okay, what do I have to do today? to handle this thing. And then anything that comes along, any advancements, um, you know, it's icing on the cake, but for now it's just about what do I do for the day? I completely agree. I, I always tell people, I, I hope for a cure. I do not live like one is coming and you know, it just, it, it definitely helps. So what's, what's up for you now? So you guys are going to report in, a, in you know, not too soon, but, but pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. About four weeks, uh, I think is our first official report date. So I'm, I head out to Arizona in about four weeks and, Get, get going on a season. We had a little down year last year, so we're, we're optimistic we'll have a much better year this year. You guys are fun to watch. It, uh, the A's are, are just a fun team to watch. So, um, yeah. do you now? Is, is there some? Is there some mammoth, mammoth kid out there you've got to go fight with? Or <laughs> uh, there are always mammoth kids I got to fight with. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean I think I. As it stands now, I've got a good opportunity to get some good playing time. So I think uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's funny. It's those those moments, the last few years, I've had pretty good opportunity to, to play more so than when I was, you know, I guess at more of my prime, you know, my late 20, late 20s of the baseball prime. And, and yet somehow I've had more opportunity to play as an early 
30 year old. Um, so it's a funny game, but it, it's, uh, I'll take those moments of playing opportunity however I can get them. What do you attribute that to do? Is it, is it being able to, as a professional to put the bat on the ball when you need to, or do you think it's your defense that keeps people interested or how, how- I think the defensive component is, is certainly huge. I think, and I think teams are through analytics are starting to realize the importance of defense. And, and so, um, teams that use data a lot, the A's, the Rays, they've, they've been the ones who have been interested in me. And I think, uh, luckily there are those teams available, maybe, 15, 20 years ago when it was such an offensive-driven game, maybe I wouldn't have those opportunities. But I think now that, that you know they're finding the value in defense, so I'm getting some more opportunity. Yeah, I, it's, I talked to my son about that a lot. I said, you, you really do need to play for somebody who appreciates in a scoreless game a ball you take out of a gap that could have been a double, isn't a double. And nobody has the – a lot of guys don't have the foresight to see how that changed the game. It's funny. Base, yeah. Baseball is only judged on the moments when the when people cross the plate for some reason. Yeah, when you read a box score, it's, yeah. you don't see anything uh, about defense there. But taking away a double is just the same as hitting one. Right, right. Now, and and it, so it's funny you said that because just recently I started talking to him about the idea of the hockey plus minus. And how I think it applies to him when he's playing in the field, you, yeah. you know, and so oh, that's really cool. That you yeah, no doubt. I think basketball is seeing the same thing. They're starting to realize like, okay, half of basketball is on the defensive side. So let's care about it. Right. Right. Well, Sam, I want to thank you so much for doing this and I'm going to ask you to hold on for one second, Ben, but I really appreciate coming on the podcast. I'm going to put the show out about the time you guys report. So, uh, so that people can listen to it when they're thinking about baseball a little bit. But very cool. Thanks yeah, for having thanks me. So much for doing this. I appreciate and it. Swings and crushes one to dead center. This will send Bold back. Still going on the warning track. Sammy reaches up and makes a great play. Crashing into the fence and dead center. Fold takes a base and away from Machado. Wow, what a play. Wow, that was really a lot of fun talking to Sam. Hey, find Sam on Twitter. He is Sam Fold5. S-A-M-F-U-L-D and the number five. Reach out to him. Wish him good luck in the coming season. Let him know you heard him on the podcast. Thank him for his time if you get a chance. Really, man, that was great. It's such a good time. I don't even know what to say. Uh, Rate the podcast on iTunes if you are. Subscribe. Please subscribe. Tell people. That's another good thing to do. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell somebody who lives with type 1 diabetes, somebody who lives with diabetes, somebody who loves somebody with diabetes. Let them know we're here um, you know, so they can become part of it. Hey, listen, I can't even think after talking to Sam. I'll be back next week with another show. Thank you very much, Insulet, for supporting the podcast with your advertisements. www.myomnipod.com forward slash demo or the links that you find on your player or on juiceboxpodcast.com. Go try out a demo pod. Um, And thanks again to Insulet for supporting us. See you next week. Hey, guys, if you want to see some of these uh, amazing highlight clips of Sam uh, that you heard throughout the the show today, go to, you know, your favorite browser, uh, Google, and uh, look for must see, just the letter C, M-U-S-T-C, Sam Fold. And you'll get a, a return of a whole bunch of Major League Baseball video clips of Sam doing some pretty great stuff. Thanks to Major League Baseball for, you know, not making a big deal out of me using your audio. A swing and a rocket in the right center field. Fold on the run. Dives! Sam!
Sam Fold has made a spectacular catch in the alley in right center field. What a play by Sam Fold. Fully extended as even Sam Fold earned some applause here at Minute Maid Park as they show the replay on the big Astros vision.